I-V-M ISIS, the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria Not the Egyptian goddess, but the Middle Eastern nightmare Kabir Taneja makes a persuasive case for why Indians should care about ISIS and its social media mode of operation in this episode of the Pragati Podcast Welcome to the Pragati Podcast, a weekly talk show on public policy, economics and international relations. I am your host, Pavan Srinath. I am here in Delhi at Pindrop Studios to record this episode with Kabir Kaneja. Kabir is an associate fellow at the Observer Research Foundation and he works on India's relations with the Middle East and studies terrorism, political dynamics and the evolution of non-state actors. In August 2018, Kabir published an excellent monograph titled The ISIS Phenomenon, South Asia and Beyond. On the podcast today, we talk about the evolution of ISIS and why Indians must pay attention to the phenomenon that it is. Before that, I have a little announcement. Kannada Barutta, Solpa Adjust Matkala Kagatta, The Teleharte Kannada Podcast is the latest show on IBM. My friends Surya Prakash, Ganesh Chakravarti and I have launched a weekly Kannada podcast that bridges the Kannada and English worlds. We talk about Bangalore and Karnataka and we talk about issues that rarely get spoken about in Kannada. We have episodes coming out every Wednesday and we are there on all podcast platforms as the Tale Harate Kannada podcast and on social media as Harate Pod. The link is in the description. Check it out and Banni, Kannadadallu Nav Harate Hodiona. I'll be back with Kabir after this short break. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another great week on IVM Podcast. If you aren't following us on social media, please make sure you do. We're IVM Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you guys want to catch Cyrus's rant on Cyrus Says Live, you can definitely check out Instagram. We kind of publish that live every time we're doing it on Tuesday afternoons. Make sure you check in for that. On Cyrus, this week, actually, we had a really great guest, Roshan Abbas. Roshan talks about a wonderful career spanning radio, TV, live events, entrepreneurship, and now he's an author, too. It's full of funny stories, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. On Advertising is Dead, Varun is joined by Geo Savan, co-founder, president, and chief strategy Officer Vinod Bhatt. He gets into details about their latest partnership with Geo, their big plans for the company in the coming year, and a whole lot more. On the 99th episode of The Seen and the Unseen, Amit is joined by lawyer and policy analyst Amaya Nayak. They talk about the rules and institutions that keep populist readers in check and how they are being meddled with. Last week on the Prakati Podcast, Supreme Court lawyer Ninad Lau joined host Pavan Srinath to talk about PILs, the NGT, and overall environmental governance in India. On the Echoes of India, Anirudh gives us a history of Pompeii Lakshmi, an Indian ivory statuette which was uncovered in the ancient Roman city of Pompeii. On Puliyabadi, Pranay speaks to Chinmay Tumbe, a scholar in Indian migration. They talk about the Indian community's prolific migration across the world and the phenomena of a good migrant. And with that, on with your shows. Hi, Kabir. Welcome to the Pragati Podcast. Thank you so much. It's also a pleasure to finally meet you. You've been a scholar at the Takshashila Institution in the past yeah. and we've worked remotely before. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pleasure to finally get you into yeah, the studio absolutely. here in Delhi yeah. and talk to you about ISIS. Yeah. So, Kabir, I live in Bangalore. Mm-hmm. And yes, there was some stuff that happened with ISIS and Twitter a yeah. while ago, yeah. which we'll get to. Mm-hmm. But when we look at all the problems in India, all the even the terrorism problems in India, yeah. ISIS seems like a distraction. It seems like something that the Americans and the um, you know people in the Middle East have to deal with. While we have uh, the Lashkar e Taiba, yeah. you know, closer to home, yeah. we have the Taliban who are still uh, who are resurgent in Afghanistan, and it feels like 
why do I care mm. about what's happening with the ISIS? Yeah. So why should we care? So this is the thing, right? Uh, we uh, we know that our immediate problems are on our borders, right? And so we are obsessed in a way with what's happening in Pakistan, what's happening in Kashmir, and now on the Eastern Front with China. And but that's not a terrorism thing; that's a you know sovereign thing. But with Pakistan, we with cross-border terrorism, Lashkar-e-Taiba, Jaish-e-Mohammed. So we are obsessed with that part of terrorism, which is very hyper-local from a global context, right? So it's, right. it only concerns predominantly us. So LET is a little active in Afghanistan, but it's not a big concern to anyone, especially even in Afghanistan. It's which is a, why no one else talks much about huh, LET. So, which is why India also has problems, I think, bringing this issue up with the United Nations, because it's that hyper-local, right? I mean, from a global context, right? If it was Al-Qaeda, a resurgent Al-Qaeda in Kashmir, it would be a different discourse in the United okay. Nations. True. LET and, uh, you know, Jaish or Haqqanis, it's a different whole narrative that concerns predominantly this part of the world. So, but the thing is that I mean, there's a distinction between, as I said, domestic jihad, which is what India faces, and global jihad. So the global jihad thing actually moved from Al-Qaeda to Islamic State. So the whole narrative with that goes towards ISIS, right? And ISIS revels in it. You know, that's we have to understand this, that we are sort of in a time when you and I are on Twitter, so is ISIS. So they use the same platforms that we do. They suddenly have the same access to the technologies that we have. So what the technologies we use to communicate with our loved ones, you know, uh, on WhatsApp or whatever, thousand other things, they use the same things, right? So how do you sort of put barriers into what we are now calling the most connected time in human race, right? So which is, you know, like, for example, when a lot of people are now aware of how good ISIS was on online, so Twitter, whatever, you know, Facebook or all these things. But how it all started is interesting to sort of understand. Uh, so the whole use of Twitter, for example, by jihadist groups, global jihadist groups, so, right, only came after a local jihadist group first used it and tried it out. This was the, um, I, I can't remember the year, but the attacks on Westgate Mall in Kenya. Okay. Right. So that was the time, first time when Al-Shabaab used Twitter. And they live tweeted the entire sort of Wow. event. And that's the first time I think even the platforms themselves realize what's happening along with law enforcement, intelligence, everyone. And it took at that point of time, Twitter, almost the entire course of the operation to kill these people in inside the mall to delete that account. So they had done their job Amazing. By, that, by that time. So right. This is completely different from what we were thinking about as terrorism yeah, 20 years ago, 15 See, because, years ago. Because jihad is not new, right? But the times have changed. So the platforms of, I mean, committing terrorism have now also gone digital. Right. So you don't need to actually physically go and blow up something. Right. Like I'll give you an example of how this convergence sort of between global jihadist movements and hyperlocal situations in Kashmir, for example. There was this case a couple of months back, two, three months back about uh, what I call in my own lexicon, you know, freelance jihadists. That just, you know, where the wind is going or where the money is or where the weapons are, whatever, whatever they are looking for. And they just go into that direction, right? This uh, guy who went into a suburb of Srinagar in Kashmir, you know, shot at a cop, the cop died. He escaped and he went to a, a, a where you internet cafe, 
right we, we don't have them anymore yeah, <laughs> cyber cafe cyber cafe right so he went to a cyber cafe and he emailed amak news agency now amak news agency is a quasi official uh, outlet of uh, isis right um, they exist on various platforms like um, well they used to be on twitter facebook now but telegram is one and a lot of platforms that are coded so the right. you know there's no back entrance to it the law right. enforcement doesn't have access to it and it's a vacuum all right so you ban them from one they'll, platform and, nah, so i'll just get to that second. i'll tell you how this ah. all sort of got built up so much so this guy shot the cop emailed amak news agency now this is 2018 right so like we know the islamic state the so called islamic state uh, was formed in june 2014 when abu bakr al baghdadi at the al nuri mosque in mosul went to the mosque and declared that this is a caliphate now you know i am right. the caliph this is the caliphate and after that they did take over a lot of territory right uh, and we'll get to that also why that happened so technically the rise of isis was in a landmass which is very far from india right which has happened before also it's not new it's happening right now also with uh, boko haram in mali just that it's africa so no one gives a shit right uh, so like it doesn't matter so from a global sort of context they're like africa is fine we'll deal with it later on but uh, because it was happening in uh, iraq and syria specifically after the arab spring so there was a lot of you know because arab spring was seen as a positive change happening right. in the middle east right which was one of the largest mistakes of narrative that i've seen in a long time and it was also pushed by the obama administration you know at that point so this guy emailed amak news agency that i've killed this cop for you right no one asked him to do it he was not in touch with any handlers he was not in touch with from what we know till now with you know any of the senior sort of hierarchies of of isis in iraq or syria and amak news agency, and this is of course as i said 2018 right so uh, because of the russian military intervention and the american led military intervention uh, isis lost its territory they are concentrated in a very small desert area in syria now but you know they were like maybe 80 90000 strong at the peak in 2015 no one knows where they went you just know that the territory that they held is not there anymore which was inevitable as right. soon as someone was coming in to fight them like the russians or or the americans that was going to happen so we knew that they cannot hold territory right so there's this person shrinagar who's done this ha. who says that he's killed a cop ha, so in the see, name of isis yeah so he emails amak saying i've done this in your name within a couple of hours amak releases a statement saying you know isis mujahideen kills cop in shrinagar wow right so amak doesn't know who he is but they released a statement and that you know amaks because amak uses telegram or whatever it is you know all these systems you know everyone from the new york times to the hindustan times to a journalist sitting in fiji has access to these sort of releases and what happens to these releases they automatically make it to the headline right so this guy became isis within a 5 hour period without having any contact with them and the narrative then started isis has appeared in kashmir well that narrative was there before also but the yeah. whole you know you must have seen this isis jnk and all these kind yeah, of things and anyone can fly an isis flag right which is mm-hmm. also what happened in kashmir like i'll very quickly since you brought that up uh, one of the first instances of the pictures that came out of the stone pelting cases in kashmir in 2016 2017 were cases of isis flags being flown and all that kind of stuff at least in one of the cases the guy who was doing that was actually from bangladesh right okay. uh, so he got in touch with another isis sympathizer in calcutta 
through I think it was Facebook, but I'm not sure. Uh, but one of these platforms and they were talking about what can be done and the guys have I had access to some money also especially the Bangladeshi guy so he told this guy from Calcutta I'm giving you some money you go and do a recce so he went to Delhi he went to from Delhi he uh, went to Kashmir and in Kashmir he during the stone pelting waved the ISIS flag this is just one person having access to let's say 20,000 rupees doing this right and he waved the flag and all that. And the pictures came up everywhere. And the pictures are terrifying. And terrifying, they cause right. a big narrative. Right. But I mean, this is fascinating what you're telling me. This is like a Manchester United fan in in Bangladesh getting together with a Manchester United fan in India. Yeah. And then waving a jersey in Kashmir, right? Yeah. And it's no different. No, it's no different. It's the same thing. And I mean, it, we don't make news out of, oh my God, there are uh, Manchester United fans <laughs> in Kashmir. There are many and yeah, there should be. Exactly. But... If it's ISIS, then yeah. it's terrifying. No, of course, because especially that flag has become synonymous with fear now, right? Yes. For example, the first time ISIS flag was waved in Kashmir, the flag was actually wrong. It belonged to an Al-Qaeda affiliate in, very small Al-Qaeda affiliate in Iraq. Right. Right. But even the guy who was flying it thought it's an ISIS flag because there is no, <laughs> right? Because if you see what's written on the ISIS flag, it's very specific sort of like imagery and uh, you know what it yeah. says because let's, let's remember every jihadist movement is based based on a theological argument but this theological argument doesn't mean that it's going to sell to everyone or you need it to sell it to everyone right. most of the people with ISIS uh, who got attracted to it and we let's uh, also make one thing clear here that a lot of them were middle class educated so that whole narrative of uh, didn't have any prospects is you know so got wavered into this and all is Sort of yeah, some of these falls, are being yeah. debunked. So this is amazing. So let's take a a bunch of steps back. Mm. Uh, my colleague Nara and Ramachandran has a very interesting phase. Uh, what was and he said that what was interesting about ISIS was that they were the first terrorist outfit to capture GDP. Yeah. And in that sense, they were also very different from the Taliban. I mean, mm. the Taliban still ran a state, yeah. a, a horrendous one. Yeah, yeah. But was uh, still a little different. Mm. So. From Al-Qaeda hmm. and the, the mental image we have is, of course, very uh, skewed and flawed. But the idea is that there are these terrorists hiding out in the mountains of Afghanistan and Pakistan who are, you know, hiding in caves, who are waging war, who have some access yeah. and some uh, supplies and networks for guns and ammunition. But by and large, they're on the fringe, yeah. right? geographical, societal and otherwise. Hmm. And cut to what happens in ISIS and mm. what happens in Syria and in Iraq, mm. where um, you have terrorists who start running cities and who yeah. start getting access to oil fields. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, so tell us a little bit about that journey. I mean, you mm. talked about uh, Baghdadi declaring that the yeah. caliphate has yeah, yeah, been formed. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little about that journey right. and what's happened over there since then. Right. So... Uh, See, I mean, let's remember that ISIS came from Al-Qaeda. It didn't appear out of, you know, out of the blue moon. So uh, Al-Qaeda in Iraq was an entity. I can't remember the year, but there was, uh, Zarqawi was the guy who was a sort of, uh, you know, chief of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. And he only became chief. He used to be a petty criminal, basically, in Iraq. But he only became chief or got that sort of leverage after his name randomly came into a Colin Powell speech in 2006 or seven. 
ஆமா because suddenly the americans were going after him exclusively while the while zarkawi didn't even know that he was on the radar of the americans but he used yeah. that leverage to build an ecosystem and i'll tell you why zarkawi is important because zarkawi started off as a sort of petty criminal in jordan so he's a jordanian or was a jordanian guy he's dead now uh, but when he was you know trying to build his ecosystem he was as bad as any other jihadi trying to make his sort of way right one of his first um, uh, uh i think attacks that he planned was at on a, in a movie theater somewhere either jordan or iraq i can't remember but that movie theater was apparently playing pornographic films and that was against his beliefs so he decided we needed to put a stop to this because it's westernization and it's an american influence coming in so he uh, got one of his people to strap a bomb and you know walk into the theater this guy went into the theater the movie was playing he got very distracted with it started watching it <laughs> and the bomb blew off it ripped apart his leg and all that kind of stuff right so you can see the very sort of nascent stages from where he began to what isis is now and these are idiots with guns and bombs idiots with guns and bombs right but of course arkavi was not just an idiot clearly because he managed to sort of rally uh, the ecosystem and uh, and most of his sort of building up capital was in prisons as it usually happens right but zarkawi was also the guy who after being made famous by colin powell he also thought that as part of al qaeda al qaeda was not strong enough in taking the americans in the middle east and kicking them out right. so he saw osama bin laden as sort of going soft in his target so osama bin laden you know and met zarkawi in afghanistan uh, zarkawi had training camps in afghanistan as part of al qaeda but he did not see a eye to eye with bin laden a lot and but bin laden needed him to set up a sort of yemen like constituency in in iraq so like an affiliate group pretty much yeah but you know zarkawi would go up to bin laden and say you're only limiting us by saying only target the americans or the israelis we need to think larger we need to think you know we need to take over the middle east he was from that sort of Uh, spectrum and bin laden never of course was being challenged and he didn't like that right and al qaeda also i mean their talks might have been about many things but they were always a terrorist outfit right so no, no, of course a- yeah yeah they were always a terror outfit but al qaeda was very sort of regimented hmm. right it was very hierarchical it was very regimented but the success of al qaeda sort of existed in the fact that their commanders had a lot of democracy okay. so bin they would take ideas to bin laden Bin Laden was just used to sign them off. Operationally he gave them a lot of freedom okay. to do what they want. So the like the 9/11 attacks it's not that you know Bin Laden sat down and drew up the maps. They came up to him saying this is what we think we are planning and he said go ahead. Right. So he became the face of Al Qaeda of course. But he gave a lot of freedom to his commanders which is why there was very little sort of defection within al qaeda so there was loyalty was a lot there because people had freedom so the commander also needed to feel powerful 
Right. So the same sort of systems also existed in ISIS, which is your way you're talking about setting up a quasi-government, you know, taxing people or setting up systems. Is because they allowed, you know, um, democracy of jihad, basically. Right. Okay. They allowed people to... Uh, so it's almost like federated jihad. Pretty right? much. So, yeah, so yeah, you allow... Yeah. Your local yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. goons uh, some autonomy. Exactly. And by giving them autonomy, you can grow bigger. Bigger, yeah. As long as your religious arguments on what you're doing and why you're doing are very, very strong. So if you start wavering around those, then any sort of such movement in the Middle East or anywhere else will start wavering. But tell me about that, right? I mean, there's one about, you can go into deep into Islamist philosophy yeah. and so on but these are fairly crude ideas of hmm. uh, even around islam yeah. and how religion plays a role yeah. right so it's yeah. like destroy idols hmm. you know whatever is considered haram under yeah. a very narrow definition yeah outlaw that yeah punish yeah. people very very severely yeah. for that yeah. the, the religious aspect was that crude right it's it was crude right but it's always been crude in that sense even under al-qaeda in the late 90s or early 2000s the thing that changed here is, is of course that us sitting in india for example or anyone sitting in a remote part of canada or whatever it is had access to see what they were doing if people did not follow their diktats, right? The whole, uh, for example, you remember they burnt alive a Jordanian pilot that they had captured when right. his plane had crashed. Right. And they made a spectacle out of it. When the video was released, he was burnt alive in a cage. You can see that it's like theater with people standing, flags and, you know, well-produced so the, production. The, 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 this was so much worse than... I mean, you would have those horrible, grotesque, but grainy images coming from some cave in yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, not even Afghanistan. If you see what happened in Iraqi prisons after the 2003 invasion, right? We will see pictures coming in sort of leaked out or grainy in the dark cell and all that, which is what was the norm, right? So, but now it is live. It is produced. Yeah. So terrorism that has production value. Production value. And like I know scholars who have tried to like answer very simple questions around this. How do you upload a 4K video file of 13 minutes, which is 2 GB in in size, and upload it from Aleppo, which is bombed out. Wow. How do you do it? And somebody and figured I, it I, out. And somebody figured it out. But us as scholars, I remember sitting with a person who runs a tech company, and we sat down for one whole day trying to figure this out. We saw the various systems and, you know, it's possible. It's not like not it's possible. But it's only possible when you have good amount of money with you. Right. And let's remember. And talent. And talent, of course. But we know that, right? Like ISIS also had a small team only dedicated to crude drones. Right. So there was one Tunisian engineer and one engineer of French descent, I think, Algerian French descent. They were tasked with building drones and they did. Oh, wow. So we have videos of ISIS drones dropping crude uh, pipe bombs and stuff on tanks and cars and stuff like that. So they did that also. So this is like the internet age meets sort of weird startup culture yeah. meets horrendous yeah, violence. Pretty much. Pretty much. You know, there was... The, so we have to keep our eyes open, right? To, no, but that's the thing, right? So like, even if you... Like, there's in the middle, of course, and I think rightly so, people were very angry with Twitter and Facebook that you're not doing enough to counter this thing. Now, now see, but I totally agree with that. They were not doing enough at that point of time. I think they've gotten better now. But even when this all started, I think it even caught the sort of platforms... By surprise. Of course, there is always tendency of bad, malicious content there, right? But to be, to weaponize Facebook or to weaponize Twitter 
it was something that they didn't envisage ki you know this is and, going and, to happen and and we talk about weaponizing facebook and twitter from the view of political parties and this is yeah. at another level no this hai? is at a whole different level right but even facebook and twitter to counter this they need experts now experts like this don't grow on trees you know it's not like hiring for vpro or infosys no this to vpro infosys but it's not like hiring engineers or something you need people who understand uh just removing content doesn't work but they understand how it is being used from what perspective it is being used and how to counter it from not just a technological side but from a thought side right right this is not a reactionary okay i'll take this offensive content down or this horrendous no, content it's, down it's, as you said you know earlier if you take it down there it'll come up there how are you going to manage it like i'll give you an example of when the sort of um, uh, these uh, lone wolf attacks so called were happening in europe in 1617 2016 2017 you know a lot of people were like why are you allowing facebook to be used for this kind of stuff and all that and actually it was not facebook right so they may see someone showing some sort of inclination or argument towards isis on facebook but then they take the conversation away to smaller unheard of uh, chat uh, apps that very few people maybe use but they still exist there's something called wicker i think i'm not even sure what it is wow. but in in one of the cases in germany Uh, they found out this person had inclinations towards isis because he had posted some pictures with the isis flag or something but they contacted him and gave him all the advice using a app that i didn't even know existed but they used these apps because the purview of the you know law enforcement online specifically is limited like right. and and it's so easy to now just build yet another messenger right yeah exactly uh, that is end to end encrypted yeah. that so even if you start working with whatsapp to sort of figure out yeah. how to yeah. monitor or like, do something why like why did telegram became such a big thing telegram became popular because of isis no one knew telegram before isis started using it as one of their main uh, systems right so all these wow. famous journalists in the world who were following isis would be on pro isis telegram channels and that's where you got your content from and isis people knew that you know a journalist is in this chat room with us and they were fine with it because they knew that if the argument or their side needs to go out on the front page of the new york times rukmani kalemaki needs to be part of us and we need to be feeding the person all the output that we are doing bbc interviewed this italian journalist two months ago who was in captivity in syria for a couple of months right and this is part of the isis economy right uh, extortion basically so a lot right. of people would pay money governments have paid money there was a report in in the united nations also that got amended because i think they put it online erroneously of how much money the countries have paid isis just to get citizens out like tens of millions of dollars right uh, so they know how to gather money but you know but that's the thing like even uh, something like telegram is a russian service right so it's owned by a russian entrepreneur basically now the problem here they faced is that they cannot turn telegram down because it's also the most popular app used by russian politicians wow for normal use right for right. not but just because they didn't want to use whatsapp which is an american thing thinking that they may you know the intelligence may get a backdoor entry you never know what happens we are going to use something where the servers are in russia so it was as popular with the russian politicians for normal work as it was for isis to dis- to dispense information so what do you do what does telegram do so they can say at best we what we will do is we will try to clean it up right right that's and, not easy and and if you start doing bans then you start 
hurting innocent people. Yeah, if you say absolutely. that from this geographic look, uh, area, yeah. I will not allow anyone to yeah, access this. No, but like uh, what we are discussing, despite that, a lot of information that we got through Telegram, through these things, are were also critical in getting a lot of stories out. You know, of right. the kind of suffering that's happening in Syria. Or so Iraq. both the sort of the victims and the perpetrators and the villains are all used on the same. Coming platforms. back to the point that it's the same platforms. They're not using anything that's plucked from the stars or something like that, that we can say, oh, what's happening? They're using the same tech that we use now. Like Al-Qaeda has been doing what ISIS has been doing for a long time. But Al-Qaeda came up mostly through the 90s. So the so way to... Pre-social media and the post-social yeah, media. Yeah, absolutely. And the way to make a mark in pre-social media was, okay, let's attack a US Navy destroyer. The mm. coal incident that happened. Yes, attack the American embassy in Tanzania or whatever it is. Right. Very elaborate sort of uh, operations. You don't need that kind of elaboration anymore. I, ISIS is um, doesn't hold much geography today. But their output hasn't gone down. It's still the same. It did go down in the middle. Then it comes up. Then it goes down. Then it comes up. So, and that's not necessarily has a lot to do with, you know, air raids against them or stuff like that. That's their own sort of how they want the information to go out. So, you know, it's a lot has changed. So, and enough, and we are only catching up now. So we like, for example, India doesn't have good enough capacity for uh, monitoring uh, cyber issues. A lot of pro ISIS cases that we have, Shami witness, for example, in Bangalore. How did that arrest happen? We didn't know he was sitting there. Or I used to follow him on Twitter. For seven months. Wow. Right. But the government of India was not... No. Uh, ultimately, what happened was uh, the British intelligence was looking for this Shami witness fellow. And they found out, okay, maybe it's a person of South Asian origin living in a suburb near London. So that's what they were going for. During their investigations and all, they realized, oh, he's not in England altogether. He's this in is, Bangalore. He's in Bangalore. What do you do? They were like, look, just leak the information out. So Channel 4 got hold of it, however it was. They made a documentary on who Shami Witness was. This is this guy, uh, I think Mehdi Biswas or whatever his name was, uh, sitting in Bangalore working for a MNC. And, you know, uh, uh, in the day he has a day job and at night he's Shami Witness. And uh, it was only then his arrest happened. The Indian intelligence uh, apparatus had no idea. And they still didn't. A lot of people who have been flagged for ISIS activities between 2015 and 2017, I think 80% of the cases are flagged by foreign intelligence agencies. Wow. Because it's all about capacity, right? You have to build capacity. The NSA has capacity. The GCHQ has capacity. It's just that we haven't realized uh, that that capacity needs to be built because, uh, and which is quite ironic considering we are supposed to be the IT superpower or something like that. We'll be back with Kabir Taneja after this short break. How aware do you think you are of your laws and rights? Do you look up to laws when you are caught up in situations? Do you know what your rights are when you're stuck somewhere bad? Well, here's a show that can help you move an inch closer to being aware of what your rights are. Tune into Know Your Kanoon with me, Amar Rana. This is a podcast meant to answer all your law-related queries. Catch Know Your Kanoon every week on the IVM website or the app or anywhere you get your podcast from. Welcome back. Kabir, we've talked a lot about how ISIS operates online. Yeah. 
what's been happening on the ground all the violence happens in the real world yeah. right and yeah. they, they use social media very strategically mm-hmm. but i mean we constantly hear at least from the americans that isis has been defeated even in the maps we see that the territory that they're controlling mm-hmm. has radically shrunk mm-hmm. is the isis in the way we knew it gone what's happened to it so i think isis the way we knew it in the sense that you know they had declared aleppo as a capital and they had mosul as a, one of the major cities where they had taken over completely i think that's ended for now right you cannot predict what happens in the middle east in the future because it's very volatile that in that way but so but even when they started doing this you know controlling territory which was larger at a point of time in 2015 16 more than the territory of what great britain is uh i think most analysts knew at least that this will be a very sort of short term thing because they don't have the same firepower as the americans or the russians or the iranians you know, who have all entered the theater you know from different perspectives but i think isis at that point of time was this magnet in the middle where everyone was like let's put our differences aside get rid of this first and right. then we will figure out what to do what to do in the sense of how course, to split the pie what, how yeah, to do whatever the few, i mean how will the future look we'll figure let's get rid of this first and that's why you know we saw a lot of friction between the russians and the americans but they were targeting the same targets right so th- the territorial hold of isis is now very small compared to what it was i think they are only concentrated in one uh, desert region called dairet zor very interesting i'll put a very quick anecdote here is also the region where india had large investments in an oil field uh, along with china which got overrun by isis and we had to abandon everything there so uh, uh, this was i think 2013 so just after the oh this uh, is ongc videsh and others yeah, 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 buying yeah, stake yeah, yeah, in a pretty local much, oil yeah, field yeah so uh, you know so but the thing is that despite losing territory it is like despite the collapse of the caliphate itself territorially we still don't know much about what happened to the fighters and we're talking about what kind of numbers so i in my sort of understanding is 60000 plus okay right the plus could be anything plus could be also 60005 so uh, you know but you're putting 60 as 60 a base is, is i think after what is the deaths base. and everything uh, yeah after deaths and everything and what's the level of so if you're, if you're talking about 60000 fighters are they just people with guns are they trained in battle so i think there's a lot of disparity in that so some of them are trained some of them are commander level you have to remember that a lot of people who joined isis after the caliphate was announced were former army members trained army members of uh, the saddam hussein time right yeah. sunnis and that who, was a very professional army with a lot of history a lot of history and a lot of combat experience you have to remember that so a lot of the, the first governor isis appointed governors of tikrit and mosul were former baathist generals wow. so they were from the saddam army side so these are people who know who know how right. to conduct yeah. warfare yeah. so for like for example when you know there was a story some time back a very prominent story that 39 indian construction workers were missing in iraq one of the first points of contact for us were the governors of tikrit and mosul because india had good relations with the saddam regime so they knew these generals from that time wow and some of these fighters probably also india helped train them during the 90s right so uh, the, the first point of contact were these generals despite them being in isis but they knew india like oh they are they're fine so we can help them out or whatever it is so we don't know they the they, they, they will be some generals there are about 60000 people ha, not many though 
right a lot huh. of them are just people who are either caught up in this in the thing so they join isis just to survive right. if they don't if they say no i'm not going to join isis they will be shot dead or their family will be killed and all so a lot of people are actually just that which is why mm-hmm. when the whole de- argument of defeat comes into play there's also a presumption that a lot of these people will able to just stop because they don't want to be there right they're not theologically that driven right right but you know hundreds or thousands could also be just theologically driven so it's very difficult to sort of right. and some i two. mean if you're in the the trade of war for long enough then that's what you know how to do so you will find another job yeah. doing the so same thing so it's 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 a career so it's a combination of all of those things. yeah so if you know if isis was paying them well which it was at a point of time when it had access to a lot of money people did not have any reason to sort of go elsewhere so they were getting money they were getting power they were getting whatever they wanted so it was uh, according to sort of and again coming back to this this was not necessarily they were all theologically on the same side right some of them were just there for the violence right so we have this 60000 plus people some ideologically driven some who might be mercenaries now yeah. some who are happy to put down arms if they can mm. and they're being one driven out of the territory that they were holding yeah so where are they headed i think that's one of the uh, academic questions at least that people are trying to figure out now there is no sort of you know agreed upon opinion on this yet but what are the so the possibilities so the possibilities are from what we have seen there have been we have witnessed a lot of deals being cut which gives free passage uh, safety passage to isis fighters to basically just move away from territories for now okay. into other territories and then maybe help them lay down arms or come to a truce or whatever it is for whatever concessions you know intelligence whatever one of the big reasons why people say russia joined into the fray of course it's to protect its influence zones in in the mediterranean that's that's the premier reason the second is of course a lot of senior people uh, from central asia so tajikistan uzbekistan also joined isis so they moved into syria and the natural progression when isis collapsed was to move back so there's a fear of return yeah. this is the same this is the european fear as this well this is the right? same fear but the the fear in central asia is a bit more stronger because the crackdown against radical islam there is very heavy handed right mm-hmm. so they would you know in tajikistan you would go they would go shut down mosques or whatever it is so the sort of um, resentment factor in central asia is much higher then let's say in europe for example and territorially i mean it's more connected the borders are perhaps a little yeah. more fluid yeah 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 like the few sort of movements that we know of you know they were able to also cross uh, iran relatively easily uh, undetected so uh, it is possible you know you, you can patrol your borders as much as you want if there is a means of getting through and corruption plays a big part here absolutely you know you pay the guard on the border and it's like yeah fine you know this move so central asia then if there are people who are looking for another theater of conflict then is afghanistan a natural place afghanistan as in? far as the natural progression as you said go is does factor in very highly if you, i mean we have all witnessed uh, the rise of the islamic state khorasan for example the iskp which has come into play in in afghanistan so khorasan is sort of greater iran that's an old Yeah, it's an old term for that entire yeah, so area. Yeah, so when right. when ISIS was starting up in 2011, 12, 13, at that time, before the Islamic State was announced, 
you know, their um, media outlets used to release maps of the kind of territory they're aiming for 2020 or whatever it is. And the sort of Kashmir, Pakistan, Afghanistan area was always highlighted as Khorasan. So that's what their sort of... Oh, so Kashmir is a part of this Khorasan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, uh, well, in their heads at least. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but of course, Afghanistan offers you an already existing, uh, you know, melting state, a state in flux, basically. You know, Americans have been there for 17 years. No one knows how to solve the situation. It's easier and it's more natural for a counter jihadist force or one of these people who are returning from Syria to find safety in Afghanistan, right? right. Like, for example, ISIS Khorasan is now a very successful entity okay. in a very short period of time. In any particular parts of Afghanistan? So they started from the northern parts, you know, Nangar province and all that, because Taliban is more south-centric. Right. Um, and like you said, there were a lot more people who were from the Central Asian republics, right? So there might be people of Tajik or Uzbek or so the, the, uh, Kyrgyz. So the, the, the top initial top commanders of ISKP were all Central Asians. Which is again very troubling, right? Which is very because, troubling. but Because the big anti-Taliban force was in part Pashto, but yeah. also heavily Tajik yeah, and exactly, so on. Exactly. So I think so if I remember... being outflanked. So, sort of geographically, literally, uh-huh, but even But even these guys, the Central Asians, you know, Afghanistan is already a very Taliban-centric thing. So it's never easy to create an ecosystem within an ecosystem. A bigger ecosystem will always try to trample you down. So, but they were able to sort of, with the help of funds, they were able to uh, get some of these dissident Taliban commanders who were not happy with how the things were going, who were not happy with the possibility of, a, uh, you know, some sort of uh, agreement with Kabul and the US for mainstreaming into political discourse of the right. Taliban. Oh, we see this all the time, right? Some members of the Taliban huh. are willing to enter negotiations. And I think, and, and I think that's natural to any such group. You'll always yeah. find someone or the other who's ready to dissent. And, you know, a lot of these people, as we discussed earlier, if you pay them $50 extra, they'll just go. Right. Mm-hmm. The fighters specifically, because they are in it for the money. There's no other job that they know how to do. So this yeah. is what they do. Uh, but uh, as far as ISKP goes, you know, it's also that the fact that it's been in a very short period of time able to attack targets, for example, in Kabul, which is the capital. Right. So the Americans are there. The Afghan army is there. But still in a very short period of time, ISKP has managed to start doing this. And that raises a lot of questions to people. Again, the two, three things that factor in a such sort of rapid, uh, you know, progression of any group means there has to be some state involved. Or there has to be some very strong financial backing involved. Second is, of course, that, you know, they've managed to get some very uh, prominent Taliban members or former Taliban members into the fray who know the ecosystem. So if you want to attack targets in Kabul, how do you go about it? They know that. And the third is, of course, uh, you know, uh, funds. So there has to be someone funding something so for, to, for you to actually conduct these things. As far as ISKP goes, uh, you know, from what I've learned till now, it's a very new phenomenon. But, you know, they, were, they managed to tap into the Haqqanis. Yeah. Right. So they use the Haqqani ecosystem. And that ecosystem is very so that's, relevant. 
Pakistan and ISI sort of funding the Haqqani network and then Haqqani network so, sort of So uh, according to some of the works that are available there out there on which is very limited but Pakistan and ISI and Haqqanis were the first ones to manage to create a division in ISKP by funding one of the commanders and the other commander said look if you're going to take money from the Pakistanis that is against the Islamic states narrative right. you cannot take money from these states they are against us right. our whole mandate is to take over these states huh. not that all the current uh, notional islamic states exactly. are not islamic enough exactly exactly and, uh, and so you colluding with them is sort of mm-hmm. against us so you know khanis and isi managed to create this division within iskp so iskp itself is divided between Just like the Taliban itself is exactly uh, has been divided for a very long exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. So it's the same thing same. unfolding under a different T-shirt. Basically, you know, you're wearing a wow. different brand now. Uh-huh. The the outcome is the same in Afghanistan, which is not good for countries like India because traditionally we see and not good for any local Afghans who want peace. But nobody's good for Pakistan. No. So, right. Lots of things are unfortunately <laughs> good for Pakistan. So, so like from India, because we see Afghanistan, according to me or my interpretations, as probably our only proper strategic outreach outside our borders. This we we think that this is where our influence really works, and I am not particularly sure that's true or not, because we we rely a lot on soft power and goodwill. in afghanistan we build dams we build schools parliaments and promote democracy stuff like that and unless you have a hard power backing behind it sort of doesn't work because we have always leached on to other people's policies in afghanistan it was the soviets earlier now we are leeching on to the americans so our big fear is larger iskp present if the americans tomorrow or president trump as erratic as he is you know suddenly tweets out that i'm withdrawing every troop that we have then what are you going to do you don't have a ecosystem that's where you know pakistan using both its leverages from the taliban and iskp can build its entire ecosystem and you'll be left high and dry and finally this when I mean, it's not just how much uh, india cares about afghan people and the the current islamic republic of mm. afghanistan but also what can happen thereafter absolutely right? and what can happen back home for absolutely. us absolutely i mean you must have noticed recently because there are a lot of multilateral systems happening for peace in afghanistan right now yeah there's something uh, happening in russia something uh-huh, happening elsewhere right. uh, so the, recently i think it was in almaty i'm not sure but we did send an unofficial delegation to sit on the same table as the taliban right and it, a lot of this comes from the fact that if we officially engage with the taliban and say okay fine you can be part of the political system or iskp's members can be part of the political system what argument do you have in kashmir then right and what does it do for legitimacy I mean like you mentioned absolutely powell and one speech naming one man yeah, yeah. helped him become the caliph yeah, right yeah, the notion yeah, of caliph yeah, of the islamic yeah. state or at least pushed him in that direction <laughs> yeah, pushed him in that direction so this who do you recognize who do you even talk to uh, who do you talk to officially unofficially secretly not secretly Absolutely. all has gigantic implications you know that's the thing with these groups like for example it was that easy just the fact that some money flew in iskp that one of the commanders said let's leave the larger ISIS sort of thinking behind. We're getting money here. We'll do our own thing. That easy. So it's not. It, it, 
creating barriers within this wasn't that hard it was hard in syria and iraq right because there they were managing it in the middle being with them so it wasn't if you were going to desert baghdadi's diktats for 5 million dollars you you come mm-hmm. but this is different now right, right. the commander the handling their own thing uh, which comes back to what the point i made earlier that this is what bin laden used to do this sort of democratic uh, use of his force or along them free hand which zarqawi doesn't allow right right because they already had a friction between these two ideologies so in the end now i mean i'm you know the challenge always with whenever we talk about terrorism is how much do you terrorize yeah. <laughs> our own minds and our intellects yeah. while yeah. discussing terrorism so one to me the takeaway is it goes back to what madai moody says in harry potter right constant vigilance yeah. which seems yeah. like mm. a no nonsense yeah. answer whenever we're talking about any of this yeah. and apart from this no nonsense uh, idea it's also what very much thinking about don't just look at south asia don't just look at india don't just look at lashkar e taiba and whatever but this is terrorism and a violent conflict in the age of the internet and specifically mm-hmm. in the age of social media yeah and this can have gigantic implications for us back home absolutely but also it's not just about back home i think there is still in specifically in the academic discourse there is still a lot of debate on how much social media really figures in here because even to drive someone to commit an act through social media that part of radicalization on basis of theology needs to exist first and then this is a sort of medium towards it right it's an accelerator it's or an acce- it's a massive accelerator that's the mm-hmm. thing but you need to sell jihad as a commodity first then you go to these people and say do this for us or do that for us because that loyalty factor needs to be built first and even in doing that the internet played a big part for isis they released materials during 2013 14 after the arab spring and during the arab spring in multiple languages so did al qaeda just that the al qaeda one didn't stick right but isis knew because of getting help from all these people who were educated and had sort of joined the quote unquote movement uh they knew how to work the current state of systems right they knew the potentials of the internet they knew the potentials of communications and they knew the potentials of using these tools to get through uh western societies and target those areas that have been either ghettoized or where muslims are feeling not assimilated or disenfranchised yeah disenfranchised whatever right even if but that's the thing even if one person does a knife attack in munich right injuring someone that's news that's massive news that the whole sort of political ecosystem in hungary coming up in austria coming up is has like you know uh, tentacles from this only the fear is emitting from these incidents only these are comparatively not even massive incidents to what happens in the middle east right and so this is definitely not a time for complacence for us no no absolutely not yes. for but that's one of the things that i'm working on now for uh, uh, for the book that is going to come out later on is the fact that getting too involved with our you know perspective of terror just from the issues of pakistan and kashmir is a very bad place to be in you are going to miss out on global jihadi trends that are coming up at a very fast pace 
and your ecosystems will not develop at the same pace. So you will have massive gaps that the same terror groups that you have been fighting for 60 years in Kashmir right now and you're over obsessed with will manage to tap into these ecosystems, these new ecosystems where you haven't been able to plug gaps. Internet is one of the major ones. We are still so deficient in this area. It's, it's to me, it's borderline worrying <laughs> because there is no sense of urgency to it. I've talked to cops who have worked in Kashmir, for example, on not even countering terror online, countering narratives online. And they're like, yeah, there are two people sitting there doing something on Facebook. Wow. Right. So compare a GCHQ type of institution that has built up very quickly because they recognized the threats of how the threats are moving to us who are still very overly reliant on human intelligence still. Right. So again, most of these ISIS things, even on Facebook that got flagged in West Bengal in Hyderabad were done by foreign intelligence agencies that work closely with, with the Indian. But our own ecosystem shows no urgency right now to plug in these gaps, which I think is is fairly worrying. On that worrying note, Kabir, uh, but gen- uh, definitely food for thought. I mean, we need, I mean, we need basic law and order. Yeah. We need law and order again in the age of the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I mean, we see a few shoots here and there mm. um, coming from Bangalore where there was one progressive... Um, police chief who took to Twitter and said that now, so I remember, um, you know, there was a bomb blast on Church Street, Mm. um, uh, an IED Mm. that that exploded and one person unfortunately passed away uh, a few years ago. Within 30 minutes of this, it happened on a street called Church Street Mm. that became, uh, there were handles, I think, out of Pakistan and elsewhere who uh, started talking about this became a blast at a church and end violence against minorities yeah. in India. Yeah. And all this, that yeah. within 20 minutes. Yeah. And exactly. Do you see the pace for it? Right. And thankfully, we had a Bangalore police CPBLR, which mm. was on Twitter already, yeah. which had established some credibility, yeah. which could go out there and say, yeah. calm down. Yeah. Yes, this is a bad thing that happened, a very horrible thing that has happened, but it's one IED. And it's not anything... Uh, worse this is not a pattern the street happens to be called church street and we are on it yeah yeah and so so like you said i mean we need to be doing that at a hundred times that scale on various things absolutely instilling so the counter to terror is confidence and faith in systems that that work right it's up to it's up to us and our systems to catch up it's not it's not going to be the other way around absolutely uh, Kabir, thank you so much for coming on the Thanks Pragati so Podcast. That has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so you. much. Thanks for having me. What did you think of the show? Follow the Pragati Podcast at Think Pragati on Twitter and Facebook and write to me at podcast at thinkpragati.com if you have any questions, comments or suggestions. The Pragati Podcast app is available on the IVM website, the IVM Podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts from. We are there everywhere. Did I just catch you on your way to work? Or did you end up pulling an all-nighter? Let me guess. You have a packed schedule for the day, the week, and probably the month and the year. That's a lot for your mind to handle, don't you think? This buzzing chaos also brings tons of negative thoughts. Am I right? 
Try spinning that bottle in a positive direction with me, Chetna, on the Positively Unlimited podcast every Monday on IBM Podcasts. It's time to change your life one alphabet at a time. Look, up in the internet, it's a meme. No, it's a cat video. No, it's the Geek Fruit podcast. That's right. We interrupt this riveting broadcast to tell you about our show, The Geek Fruit Podcast, where Tejas Dinkar and I, Jishnu, talk about everything in pop culture, including DC, Marvel, Star Wars, Netflix, and everything in between. You know how your friends hate it when you ramble about some nerdy crap and you just want somebody to listen to you? Well, sorry, there's nothing we can do about that, but come listen to us ramble and it'll almost be like the real thing. Kind of. Listen to new episodes of The Geek Fruit Podcast every Monday and The Geek Fruit Bulletin every Thursday on iTunes, Google Podcasts, the IVM app, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Happy listening, you nerds.